Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In the American cinematic masterpiece, The Muppet Christmas Carol, there's a scene toward the end of the movie. Ebenezer Scrooge is getting a glimpse of what happens if he doesn't repent. And he sees Bob Cratchit, Kermit the Frog, come home totally heartbroken, crestfallen, because Tiny Tim has died. And Bob Cratchit says to his family, he says, this life is a matter of meetings and partings. That is the way of it. Meetings and partings. But does it have to be that way? Do partings just have to be part of life? Today we're continuing our series Easter in exile, looking at what does it mean for the church to be the church. And we've looked at all these different scenarios and places, how the church is the church amid uncertainty, on the way, at home. Today we're going to be seeing how the church is the church within the Father's house, to use Jesus' language from today's gospel, within the Father's house. And to speak in those terms means we're talking about the church triumphant. See, when we speak of the church, we speak of an entity that really comprises three different modes or three different flavors, if you will, of what it means to be the people of God. On the one hand, there's the church militant, which is how we describe the church on earth. Militant, because we are the, the Christian soldiers making our way toward the kingdom of God and the new creation. So for all those Christians alive now on earth, that's the church militant. On the other hand, at the other end of time, you have the church glorified. All believers after the resurrection, when we are gathered together as the renewed, resurrected people of God in the presence of the Lamb of God, our uh, triumphant King, our Lord Jesus. So you have the church militant, you have the church glorified. What we're going to talk about today is the church triumphant. And this is the term that we use to, to speak of the Saints who have already passed before us into death and who are now in heaven within the Father's house, in the presence of the Lord Jesus, awaiting the resurrection. They too are the church. See, we as the body of Christ, we transcend time and space, earth and heaven, because we are united to our risen and ascended Lord, who himself is alive and gathers us all together. So today we're going to be thinking about and reflecting on how the church is the church within the Father's house, the people of God in heaven, at rest and at peace in the presence of the Lord. And I want to say that this teaching provides a great source of comfort. It's a, it's a balm to the soul that is smarting from the pain of parting. And that pain of parting was especially palpable for the disciples, where we pick up in today's gospel reading. Jesus says to them, the first word we heard in today's reading, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Why is it that their hearts are troubled? Well, what is he talking about? What's the context there that he's addressing them in? Well, there's a few things. For one thing, he has told them that they're in the, this is the night in which Jesus was betrayed. Okay, this is the night before his crucifixion. And he's told them as they're in the upper room gathering for the Last Supper that one of their number is going to betray him. That's one reason that they're unsettled, that their hearts are troubled. Secondly, he tells them that Peter is going to deny the Lord three times that Peter's going to deny him. Surely that was a source of that unsettling, troubled spirit as well. 
Most of all, Jesus tells them that he is going on ahead of them. And where he is going, they cannot come. In other words, their hearts are troubled because they have heard this word of their Savior's parting from them. Now, I don't think that we can stress enough how shattering this must have been for them. I mean, these are men who have totally left everything. They are all in when it comes to following Jesus. They have burned the boats. They have bashed the bridges. They have left everything in order to follow him, to be with him. But now he's told them, wait a second, he's going somewhere that we can't go? He's going to leave us? How are we going to be able to carry on this mission? How can we, we do this? We, we can't possibly be the instruments of the kingdom of God without you, Jesus. We don't know what to do. We're just frail human beings. We're continually falling flat on our face. How can we go forward apart from our Lord? And so, yeah, their hearts are troubled. Their souls are unsettled and roiling like the, the waves after a storm on the Sea of Galilee or indeed on Lake Michigan because they have heard of this parting of Jesus and the pain that that must have been for them. The poignant pain of parting was really brought home for me in a new way last year, an experience that I had. And I'm going to share this story with you. I'm going to ask you guys not to judge me about this because I'm going to tell you a story about a total dumb dad moment. And in fact, it could have ended a lot worse than it did by the grace of God. So about a year or so ago, last spring, I take the kids out to go grocery shopping. And we come back from the grocery store and like it always is, you know, it's everybody grabbing bags, getting unloaded, a lot of things happening, getting it in the house. So we go through all of that, get the things in, we unpack it, and then we're just kind of sitting around a while later. And maybe an hour after we got home, it suddenly occurs to me like, hey, has anybody seen Ellie? And it hits me like a, a lightning bolt. I didn't bring Ellie in from the car. She's still strapped into her child seat. She can't get out on her own. We left her in the car, out in the garage. And so right away, I hop up out of my seat and I run out to the garage. The garage door is closed. I open the door. You know, it's like the outer darkness, right? And I hear that sound. Oh, that heartbreaking sound of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ellie just crying her eyes out. She is totally scared, frightened, doesn't know what's going on. I open the car door. And she's just bawling and she looks at me and she says, why did you leave me? Oh. And in that moment, I realize in the deepest part of my being what hell really is. See, it's often said that hell is fundamentally separation from God. And sometimes you can hear that as just like, you know, some nice sounding theological jargon. But in that moment, I realized how painful it is to be separated from the one you love, the one that you rely upon. Ellie, she didn't know what was going on. She didn't know any better. She just knew suddenly she was in the darkness and she was by herself and she didn't know how to get back. See, hell, that separation from God is a, a kind of spiritual suffocation as we are cut off from the source of our life. We are parted from God eternally. And you know, for us as human creatures, we get little tastes of that in this life, that poignant pain of parting. 
Some of you have been experiencing it through the season of quarantine as maybe you've had to go through it alone and you're feeling that sense of social isolation and loneliness. For others of you, maybe you have a family, maybe you're with others, but you're just such an extrovert that it's so hard. You feel that sense of being cut off from life. And for others of you, maybe it's not in this season, but it's at other times of life as you know what it is to have had to say goodbye to one that you loved, that you know that poignant pain of parting. Shakespeare may have said that parting is such sweet sorrow, but it seems pretty sour in the moment. And even worse than that, it smarts. But it's to this pain of parting that Jesus applies the balm, the words that he speaks to his disciples. He spoke to them then in the upper room and that he speaks to you and me today. Let not your hearts be troubled, he says. For within the Father's house are many rooms. Now, what's he talking about here? It seems like a strange turn. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. In the Father's house are many rooms. What is he talking about there? Suddenly Jesus transitions into a real estate conversation. This is a, a manner of speaking. It's a figure of speech where Jesus is talking about heaven. That place of rest and peace in the presence of God where the saints of God, the souls go to be at rest as they await the resurrection. Well, why doesn't he just say that? Why doesn't he just say, you know, in heaven, there's lots of space. Why does he say, in my father's house are many rooms? Well, I think it's because of this. Jesus wants to emphasize for us that the point of heaven is not the place. And I think sometimes we can get a little bit off track here. We want to just explore and wonder, well, what's it like in heaven? Are there, you know, how big are these rooms? Do we all get a mansion, as the King James used to say? Well, what are we going to be doing there? And all those kinds of things. And those, aren't, those questions aren't unimportant or uninteresting, but that's not Jesus' main point here. See, His main point about heaven is not the place but the personal presence of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when he says, in my Father's house, it underscores that it's about that relationality, that when you and I pass on from this life and enter into the presence of God, that's heaven. And again and again and again, when the scriptures talk about heaven and talk about the afterlife, they don't get into the details of what that place is like. Instead, for example, St. Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, I would rather depart and be with Christ. He says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians that while we are in the body, we are away from the Lord. See, heaven is simply another way of talking about the immediate presence of God. That's what it means to dwell in the Father's house, to be with him in the, the rooms, the abiding places with our Savior. And let's make no mistake about this. This is what Jesus' goal is. This is his end game, if you will. As he goes on to say that where I am, you might be also. That's what is his deepest desire. The deepest desire of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is to be with us. His people. When I was a little boy, I remember I, I had a toy, My Buddy. Those of you who are my age or older, you might remember this, this thing, My Buddy. And they had these commercials. The song that went along with it was, okay, I'll sing it for you a little bit. My buddy, my buddy, wherever I go, he goes. I know, it's going to be stuck in your head the rest of the day. I'm sorry about that. 
but my mind went to that when thinking about this promise of Jesus. Wherever he goes, that's where you and I go. That he would always be with us. That nothing would separate us from his presence. That the partings that we experience in this life, that they would be a temporary sort of experience. Because Jesus himself is the one who came to claim us for himself. To say, you are mine. And as Stephen looked up at the presence of the Lord, as he was being stoned, as his life was drifting from him, no, he recognized, I'm going to a greater life to be with my Savior. Lord Jesus, he says, receive my spirit. Wherever he goes, you and I will go too. He has that kind of Velcro for you and me to claim us, to own us, so that we are always with him. This is why Jesus goes down into death. See, there's that, that difficult moment in the crucifixion, the, what's sometimes called the cry of dereliction, as Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken of the Father that you and I would not be forsaken. He experienced that horrible separation from God that you and I would never have to be separated from him. He went down into that dark abyss so that we would only and ever know the light of his presence. That's the promise that you and I have. That in this life, we live with our Lord. And when we pass on beyond this life, still we are with him. To that end, it says in Romans 14, to that end, Jesus died and lived again so that whether he, we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's so that he might be Lord of the living and the dead. Whether we live, whether we die, we belong to Christ. Still we are the church. Still we are the, the people of God in his presence, inseparable from our Savior now and always. And that brings me back to what I talked about at the very beginning of this sermon about the church triumphant. So again, when we talk about the church, the church really exists in three different modes. How we live now on earth, we're the church militant. Don't be put off by that phrase if you're you know, a little bit like, what is that talking about, church militant? It's a manner of speaking for we as the, the army of Christ, Christian soldiers contending, fighting the good fight. And then in the way future, after Jesus comes again in the resurrection, will be the church glorified, resurrected, and renewed. But as for those saints who have already gone before us and who are awaiting the resurrection, they are the church triumphant, already having received the crown, already at rest and at peace in the presence of the Savior. Now, why is this good news for us? Let me give you two reasons. First of all, Perhaps the, the most apparent one is if you're part of the church triumphant, it underscores again that nothing is going to separate you from the Savior. It's like you have crossed that finish line and now you are safe in the presence of the Lord. No longer can Satan bother you. No longer do your sins afflict you. But now you are at rest and you have received that victory of Christ. Now you are able to enjoy that presence of the Savior. That's the, the first thing, to know that the church triumphant is bound to Christ and living with him. But not only so, see, that to be part of the church triumphant means that you are bound to the Savior and you are also bound to his body, that you are part 
of what we sometimes call the communion of saints. A moment ago, we sung that great hymn, For All the Saints. And there's that verse. Verse 4 says, Oh, blessed communion, fellowship divine, we feebly struggle, they in glory shine. What is this talking about? We feebly struggle as the church militant, striving to be faithful, to walk with our Lord, still with the old Adam, the old Eve hung around our necks, still having to deal with Satan and the world. We feebly struggle. But they, the church triumphant, they in glory shine. But then listen to this. And yet all are one in thee, for all are thine. All are one in thee. The whole body of Christ, the saints in heaven and the saints on earth, we are all united in Christ. For your brothers and sisters in the faith, for those sainted loved ones who have already gone before you, they still are living before the Lord, albeit in a different way, beyond this veil of tears, but you are still bound to them through the, the crazy glue of baptismal waters and the body and blood of Christ, which has fastened us to one another. We get at this when we're able to celebrate the Lord's Supper and we sing in the Sanctus, the holy, holy, holy. We say, therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, with all the communion of saints, those saints who have gone before us and are in glory shining as part of the church triumphant, and we saints in the church militant, still feebly struggling and looking forward with them to the resurrection of the dead. See, there's one more verse to the hymn that captures this as it goes on. But lo, there breaks a yet more glorious day. The saints triumphant rise in bright array. The King of glory passes on his way. Alleluia, alleluia. See, the church triumphant and the church militant, we are all awaiting that yet more glorious day. What day is that? That is the day when, as Jesus promises, he will come again and he will raise the dead out of their graves. And all of us, uh, those who have already died and those who are still living, will be transformed to be like unto his glorified body. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And nothing, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will separate you and me from his body, but we will dwell forever with him and with one another in that new creation. And on that yet more glorious day, friends, life, eternal life, will not be a matter of meetings and partings, but only of gatherings with our risen Savior, with the church glorified in the joy and presence of God forevermore. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.